Welcome to Eurodollar University with Jeff Snyder. My name is Emil Kalinowski, and today we're going to be discussing an article in the Wall Street Journal. And I delight in these moments when Jeff gets upset about something. And you can tell he's been upset about it for two reasons. He's been writing about this article repeatedly in several different columns, essays, blog posts. And he just told me that it really, really upset him. So, Jeff. Emerging markets burn through currency reserves as crisis risks grow. And it's by Chelsea Dulaney, August 24th, 2022. I'll just read the opening paragraph. Emerging markets are burning through stockpiles of U.S. dollars and other foreign currency at the fastest rate since 2008, raising the risk of a wave of defaults across the world's most fragile economies. It seems right. That doesn't bother you. What bothers you, though? I don't know. That sounds kind of important, doesn't it? <laughs> it sounds like, hey, hold on here. There's there's something going wrong. And it's it's not a small thing. I mean, anytime you use the 2008 comparison, people are going to be, oh, my God, this for good reason. We don't we all remember 2008. Those of us who lived through it is not a very good time for anybody anywhere at any place around the planet. Right. So if countries around the world are burning through their reserves at the fastest rate since 2008, that should get some kind of attention. It should, should, should be sticking in your mind somewhere. Hey, this doesn't sound right. There is something that's not just wrong, but this sounds like a very serious issue that should be get a little bit more of attention than a, a couple week old article in the Wall Street Journal. Well, she is bringing it to our attention, and then she puts Good some context. Her. She puts some helps put some context around it. Says it's approaching 2008 levels and emerging. Here's what the IMF says. They say that emerging and developing nations, what? It's just emerging markets. Foreign reserves have shrunk by 379 billion this year through June. That's what the IMF says. I don't know if that's a lot. It seems like a lot. Here's what JP Morgan says. Emerging markets are seeing their biggest drawdown since 2008. Okay. So Serious. Good. We've been, it's been brought to our attention. Nothing wrong with that yet, Jeff, right? <laughs> That's good. Yes. Okay. All right. Let's uh, be aware of the fact that this is happening. And the funny thing is that 379 billion is an enormous total. Think about that. That's, uh, you know, more than a quarter trillion just this year when everything's supposed to be going really well, everything's fine, things are good, the economy's well, financial system's resilient. That's a lot of cash to just suddenly disappear. Where did it go? Why did it go? Let's ask a few more questions. And the funny thing is, that's only the first part of the year. We know things have gotten worse because we've we've talked about this before, where reserves outflows have continued, if not accelerated in many places around the world, after the second part of the year, especially uh, the middle part of June into July and August. So there is something big going on here. It begs the question, we should probably, you know, what is it? We should probably find out what's going on. What is going wrong here? Okay. This is an explanation a little bit why we even need reserves. This is the mainstream explanation, Jeff. That's what's coming up next. Quote, central banks around the world are using reserves to defend their currencies against the rallying U.S. dollar and to cover higher import bills for food and fuel. 
While larger emerging markets such as China, India, and Brazil are well positioned to ride out the storm with huge stockpiles of foreign currencies, other countries are on the cusp of running out. Yeah, this is where we start to get upset, right? Yes. Because you're a foreign country, you're using your reserves to defend your currency against the rising... Why is the dollar rising? It's not like the dollar's just going up because it's going up. Oh, the dollar's going up. I got to use reserve. Why is the dollar rising? That's the part that they never get into. They just say, oh, well, the dollar's up, the rupee's down, or or the real is down, so we got to defend our currency. It's always talking about the fact and never talking about the cause. In fact, the countermeasures that central banks and officials are engaging in selling the reserves, even that, I mean, selling the reserve for what? What are they doing with them? Where are they going? It's like they just talk about these things at a very surface level. Oh, the dollar's going up. Foreigners have to sell the reserves to defend their currency. Well, why? What does that really mean? It's not just a bunch of numbers on a spreadsheet. It's not addressed vaguely superficially they touch on maybe we'll get to it later implying that it's interest rate hikes by the federal reserve that's causing the dollar to rise and therefore other countries are also raising their rates to keep up but they don't even address they do not address why is the dollar rising and only indirectly do they suggest a reason why it might be later in the article And what about the second half of that paragraph, Jeff? They say it's countries such as Sri Lanka, Nigeria, Pakistan, Egypt, Turkey, Ghana are the countries that are in trouble immediately. The Czech Republic as well. Who else is on here? Hungary. But they call attention to countries that are not in trouble, such as China, India, and Brazil. (laughs) Yes. Yeah. China, India, Brazil. Yes. They have massive amounts of foreign reserves. And the Chinese will tell you if you actually ask them, you know what? It doesn't make a bit of difference because look at the experience of the Chinese currency as well as the Chinese financial system and economy. Since the Chinese yuan began to fall and China began, China had been not just bleeding reserves, but throwing them out the window back in 2014 and 2015 into 2016. They had the largest stockpile of reserves anybody could ever conceive of. It was $4 trillion at one point in 2014. Did that help? Well, you could make the case, the limited case that, well, we didn't have any Chinese bank defaults. There was no U.S. dollar loans that defaulted. But big deal. Everything else bad happened. The currency plummeted. The Chinese financial and economic system, beyond lack of failures, experienced massive problems that they still haven't recovered from. And that's not just China, Brazil, 2014 and 2015. Would anybody count Brazilian experience at that time as a positive one? No, it was the exact. I mean, Brazil fell into a deep depression and it has never come back from it. India had less of an impact at that time, but it's having a hell of a hard time right now, even though the Indians have more than half a trillion in foreign currency reserve. Well, actually, they don't. They actually have now a little bit less than half a trillion in foreign currency reserves as of their latest weekly report, because India has been losing reserves. Their currency has been collapsing. The rupee is down to a record low. But even that's changed recently because things are going on there. So this idea that if you have a massive stockpile of foreign reserves, you are somehow protected or inured against any dollar outflows or dollar problems, really. These are not really outflows. 
doesn't stand up to even recent history, not just a couple years ago, but right freaking now. The Chinese are having all sorts of problems. The Chinese yuan is screaming down towards seven to the dollar again. And, you know, all these things happen and it's just as if, oh, well, the dollar's going up. Uh, yeah, okay, but what does that actually mean? What is really causing all of these things to happen? Why are they so substantial? Why are they leading to all these major issues around the world? Just very quickly, here's the whole discussion on the dollar. The U.S. dollar has soared to a 20-year high, period. That's it. Forcing central banks to drain reserves in an attempt to stem depreciation of their currencies. Emerging market central bankers have also been raising interest rates aggressively over the past year. But that hasn't stopped the exodus of foreign cash and pressure on their currencies. That's the only discussion regarding the dollar and possible yeah, and reasons it, why. And even there, they, they disprove the idea that it's interest rates, right? Because they say, yes, interest rates are rising from the Fed, but in many places, they're rising even more aggressively at all these other emerging markets around the world. I know India is raising rates aggressively, not as much as the Fed, but they started from a much higher rate. So you look at India versus the U.S., the Indian economy is actually growing at a relatively quick rate. I mean, the last GDP report said 13.5% year over year. What is the U.S.? The U.S. is in a technical recession. So the U.S. versus India, interest rates are higher in India. The Indian economy is much better. There's no banking crisis there to speak of. We don't have the same amount of, of, of crap going on there that you could say in Europe and across the rest of the U.S. and the developed world. Yet India is experiencing the same problems as all these other emerging markets because it can't be interest rates. It can't be rising rates. And as we know from our, our previous episode we just did, it can't be quantitative tightening either because there is no effect from quantitative tightening on pretty much anything. So we're left kind of just grasping at straws here. Why is the dollar so strong? Especially in the fact that all we've heard for the last couple of years is that the dollar's about to crash. The Fed has printed so much money. There's so much money sloshing around the world because of it that the dollar is going to crash. And the exact opposite happens. The dollar is going up in value to extreme levels. At the same time, money isn't sloshing around the world. It's disappearing by the half trillion. Where is all this stuff? We're missing all this stuff. We're missing all that's important here. That's what really gets me upset and frustrated is because here's a piece. Here's, I mean, you recognize all the symptoms but you never state the cause. It's like they're avoid, They're doing everything in their power to avoid saying global dollar shortage. It's really easy. Just three little words, put them together, and it explains all of these things in a very neat, tidy, comprehensive package. But you can't say global dollar shortage if banks, central banks have been printing a lot of money with quantitative easing. So that's... Un, not permissible, right? It sits in the, in the craw. I suppose they could say there's a global dollar shortage because now quantitative tightening has taken place and interest rate increases have begun. But that only, when could we say that began? The messaging started to come out around December. The hikes only started in March. But the dollar has been rising much longer than that, hasn't it, Jeff? So... That wouldn't fit either. As you said, you know, the article even said this 300 and some odd billion, almost 400 billion left in the first half of the year. As you, you know, the rate hikes were just starting. QT didn't begin until June, uh, into July, really. So 
you can't blame bank reserves. The bank reserves are there. You've got all these other. I mean, it's not the Fed, but you're right. That's the problem here. It's not. Yeah. Yeah. You would have to acknowledge the global marketplace. We have all these symptoms that are taking place uncorrelated, completely uncorrelated to anything the Federal Reserve is doing. And that's kind of what I took the other article, uh, the direction of the other article is that mm. we always attempt, we're told to explain everything be, through the filter, through the lens of either bank reserves, monetary policy, rate hikes, whatever. Yet those things never correlate with these real world, real money outcomes. We see outflows happen when the Fed is being, quote unquote, accommodative. How can that happen? We see the opposite take place when the Fed is supposedly tightening, yet interest rates will fall or, you know, reflation will happen. The overall point here is that we're supposed to believe the Federal Reserve and its policies are behind everything. But yet time and time and time again, we see that whatever happens in the monetary system, financial system, the economy is usually either completely uncorrelated with the Federal Reserve policy, or in many cases, it's it's the opposite of what's supposed to happen. And, but, you know, once you realize that the Fed isn't what everybody thinks it is, it's not really a central bank, that makes sense why it would be uncorrelated. Because it really isn't a central bank. Bank reserves really aren't money. And the Fed's policies really don't create all that much of an outcome. Even those who are trying to find one can't ever find more than a few basis points here or there. It's really that simple is that the monetary system is independent of the Federal Reserve and really many central banks around the world, including the ECB. It's about the banking system that operates the monetary system, not the central bank. Jeff, this article mentions that the countries in trouble are using their reserves for two purposes. One, defend the currency. Two, to buy food and energy off the global commodity markets, which are priced in dollars. Or yes, in dollars. So I would think the latter makes sense. That's what you could have your foreign exchange reserves for emergency needs to make sure you can import this food and energy. But the currency defense, Jeff, what is the thinking there? Why are they trying to defend their currency? Because, because it looks bad? And I mean, you just, they can't admit that they are at the mercy of forces beyond their control. And so they have to pretend like they can manage and control their currency. And if you want to use that uh, as that little doorway to burst through and talk about what uh, India is doing with pegging their currency and how that's likely going to come back to bite them, just like how it did with the ticking three-month clock, incredibly, three months on the dot with China. If you wanted to use that uh, opportunity to go and tell the audience what you're seeing out of India and its currency. Well, before we do that, let's talk about, you know, the, the uh, merchandise problem here, right? It, that makes sense, right? As you said, if oil prices and food prices are going up and you import a lot of oil and food, like Japan, for example, you're going to have a big problem. That's going to be an issue. You're going to have outflows of reserves because you have to pay more than what you're exporting. You're paying up for imports and you don't have the, you don't have the exports to, you know, balance that out. But you know who does? The Chinese. The Chinese export way, way more than they import, and that hasn't stopped the problem from China. So it's true that some of these countries are experiencing a merchandise imbalance where they have to pay more for imports than they're exporting, but that doesn't mean that is not an exhaustive explanation for what's going on here, China being the, the primary counterpoint where they have record merchandise surplus, so the Chinese should be absolutely swimming in 
U.S. dollars as well as euros and other reserve currencies, but they're not. They're experiencing, again, outflows, which are not really outflows. They're experiencing all these monetary, same monetary problems. They're in the same boat as India. And some of that is, yes, there's a psychological issue here where you don't want your currency to plummet to record lows because of what that does in terms of projects all the wrong kinds of attributes that you want. You want to project stability, not, hey, our currency is plummeting down to zero. That's not a good sign. But there also is a real effect there, too, because as the currency falls inside that economy, that means you're paying more for goods, which is actual inflation. So it actually make it compounds the price imbalance, the merchandise imbalance, which means there is a very real sense or very real economy issue of getting the currency under control. So at least you're not having to pay more uh, in terms of your own currency for to trans to to uh, to exchange it into U.S. dollars or whatever else, primarily the U.S. dollars. Now the Indians have had the issue where they have the import imbalance. That's not the complete story there too, and. As we talked about in a prior episode not long ago, India has experienced pretty rapid reserve loss this year, again, long before quantitative tightening and rate hikes and all that stuff. Coincidence, in fact, very coincident with the rupees further fall against the U.S. dollar. And uh, at the, I think it was the end of June or into July, they decided they're going to use these net forward assets, what they're calling contingent liabilities, which is a way to subsidize local banks and their exchange with the U.S. dollar. Long story short, it appeared to work at first because the rupee went back. The reserves started to come, started to flow back into India. But as you astutely pointed out on that episode, Emil, looking at that data, you said, no, this, this didn't work. It didn't work at all. It only it had at most a two week impact and you could already see it, see it reverse. And since that time, the outflows have restarted. The rupee started to fall back toward 80 again, which is a record low. And ever since that point, it has been Chinese-like sideways. It's almost like this CNY at times where you start to see CNY do very little trading, which tells you that the Indian authorities, like the Chinese authorities, were in the market. They're defending, they're actively defending the currency at what it seems to be pegging it at a soft peg around 80 to the U.S. dollar, which is a sign of things have gotten worse. They've escalated. They tried their contingent liabilities. As Emil said right away, no good. That didn't happen. That didn't work. And now they're going to try to peg the currency at around 80, which they should pick up the phone and call their Chinese counterparts and say, does this really work? Because the Chinese would tell them, well, no, it doesn't work, but we keep trying it anyway, because you never know one of these days it might. But see, that's our overall point here, is that look at all the stuff that these central banks around the world are having, are being forced to do. For what? For what reason? What is all? I mean, obviously, these are serious issues that are that are making these central banks do things they don't want to do, because one of the things I don't know if we talked about it on the show, it was in one of the articles. At that time, when they introduced the umbrella and the net forward assets, the Indians said, we are not going to peg the currency. We're not comfortable with where it is, but we're okay with it falling a little bit further as long as it doesn't fall precipitously. Obviously, something changed between then and now because now they're, they've said 80 to the dollar is our line in the sand, which is from back in the Asian financial crisis, this is the worst thing you could do because once the currency crosses your line in the sand, everything piles in on top of you. So it suggests. Again, 
that this is a really serious issue forcing central banks around the world to expend reserves, to do things that they don't want to do. They really, really don't want to do this. And nobody has any answers for what is going on here because they just won't say global dollar shortage. That's the only way to explain, you know, it's, it's um, Sherlock Holmes. No matter how unprobable or how unlikely it seems, if it explains all the facts, once you eliminate everything else, it must be the truth here. The contingent liabilities, the net forward assets, I can understand why that's being done. If you have a view that there's a turnaround on the horizon, the three-month ticking clock, in three months, things could be better, maybe in six months or so. But based on the forecasts of people that I trust and have been correct timing these inflections for many, many cycles, there is no sunrise on the horizon. We are still in darkness until the middle of next year, at least, at least the downturn will continue. So I, I, it's, it seems like a waste of money right now going, especially into winter in Europe where things will get ugly. You can't imagine what sort of, uh, capital market financial crises this is going to set off what kind of where it may domino from here so it's so it's a waste of money i can't believe that they're doing it now instead of maybe six months from now nine months from now when there's some sort of hope possibly when the leading indicators are are bottoming and turning up they're not bottoming they're still heading down jeff that's it for me for this article i was just gonna say i think the final thought here is that but that i I agree with you emil because you know, but what does that tell us? It tells us that the situation is so drastic and desperate or becoming so, or they're in, they're fearing that it's going to become so, that they're essentially jumping the gun. They're saying, we, we can't wait. Panic. We can't wait six months. We got to do something now. We've been saying the whole time, don't worry, don't, don't worry. But now we can't afford to wait any longer. We're stuck here with this. And it kind of makes sense if you're historically ignorant, if you don't know what's going on, if you didn't know this stuff was going on around the world. It makes sense that you would just do whatever it took, you know, do whatever you could to try to to do something. Right. But, you know, the contingent liabilities, pegging the currency, recent history shows that's not going to work. And I think the Indians probably are aware that it's not going to work, which is why they were so reluctant to go in that direction. But again, what other choices are there? The only other choice, really, the two choices are do a bunch of stuff that we've seen fail time and again or do nothing and just let the situation play out, which means as you're doing nothing and it gets worse, everybody's going to blame you. You're going you're gonna to have to fall on your sword at some point. So at least if you do something, even if you know it's not going to work, you can at least tell the people, well, I did a bunch of stuff. It was, it was out of my hands. I didn't just sit there and watch it happen. And I think that's what goes on in these places is that this tendency to get on TV and say, we're doing something regardless of whether or not it's effective becomes the overriding crisis management tool when it it really is about the crisis, not the management tool.